Man, there's always yahoos. Don't tell me some of you you weren't yahoos when you were a kid, so. Boy, it got really quiet. Just a <laughs> My memory of being that age uh, was getting in trouble because I had to move to a new class out of the fun class and the one where they were actually teaching. And uh, I still to this day don't know why I did it because in my house, you got, we got whoopings. And uh, as my mom was trying to get me through the door, I put my feet on both sides and was hollering and screaming. And yeah, I paid for that. <clears throat> and I had to apologize to the teacher and all that fun stuff. But thank the Lord. I, amen. Thank the Lord for those who are working with him. And uh, don't quit. Amen. I, <clears throat> forgive me, I've still got cough drops. I'm going to try to stick with the cough drops. But uh, just because... Still having some trouble there, but Judges in chapter 8, Judges in chapter 8, I love this passage, it's interesting to me that we would be here, I didn't pick it on purpose, but uh, one of the recent meetings, uh, one of the recent national meetings was this particular uh, passage, Faint Yet Pursuing was the theme, my wife is reading a book right now called Faint Yet Pursuing, and uh, that's where we are tonight, and that's just where the the passage happens to be, so Judges in chapter 8, if you will, uh, we're going to read uh, chapter or verses 4 through 17 so stand with me we'll read those I don't plan on being long although the kids would probably want me to be a little longer because they got pizza and fun stuff downstairs <clears throat> they got pizza not you got pizza they got pizza downstairs if you want pizza I'm sure little Caesars will sell you one so all right judges in chapter 8 verse 4 <clears throat> so remember we just got done with the whole trouble of the Ephraimites. Remember that? So the, this is Gideon and the 300, and then they gather a bunch of people in. They start chasing down the Midianites. The Midianites are killing each other. Uh, there was a whole bunch of them, like 135,000. And, uh, man, they're killing each other, chasing them down. A whole bunch of people come together to help, you know, help them get them across the Jordan. <clears throat> okay, so here's we are. Here, here's we are. That's, man, I'm telling you what. It's a good, good day for my English. Verse 4. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the 300 men that were with him, faint yet pursuing them. Now, wait a sec. Just the last four verses, we had the Ephraimites out. Verse 1, what, what is that? We have the Ephraimites in verse 1. Verse 23 of the last passage, we got them of Naphtali, Asher, Manasseh. They all pursued after the Midianites. And now here in chapter 8, verse 4, we're back to Gideon and the 300. Battle's not done. Okay, but who's there? Gideon and the 300. Verse 5, and he said unto the men of Succoth, now this is a a town of Israel. This is one of the the two and a half tribes on the east side of Jordan. He said unto the men of Succoth, give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint. And I am pursuing after Zeba and Zal. Zalmunna, kings of Midian. And the princes of Succoth said, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmunna now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto thine army? And Gideon said, uh, By the way, don't think this is just him getting mad and getting even. He is the judge of Israel right now. He is the God-appointed judge of Israel. So what he's saying, he has the right to say. He is the current leader of what of God appointed leader of Israel, Gideon said, mm, therefore, when the Lord hath, not, not if, 
When the Lord hath delivered Zeba and Zalmanna now in thine hand, I'm sorry, well, I just went back, Zeba and Zalmanna into mine hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. They're an area where there's heavy thorns, okay? Verse 8, and he went up thence to Penuel and spoke, spake unto them likewise. And the men of Penuel answered him as the men of Succoth had answered him. And he spake also unto the men of Penuel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. The, the, it is said that they had a, a, a defensive tower they were very proud of, that you know they didn't have to fear anything because they were able to all run in the tower. tower and you know, and he says, okay, great. I'm going to come back here and tear down what you think is all that great about your place. Verse 10. Now Zeba and Zalmanah were in Karkor, and their host with them, about 15,000 men. That's 15,000 after like 135,000. But I don't know if you counted, 300 versus 15,000 is still, uh, yeah, <clears throat> that's not so great of odds. All that were left of all the hosts of the children of the east, for there fell 120,000 men, that drew the sword. That means just soldiers, not, not support staff. These are soldiers, trained soldiers. 120,000 have died. Verse 11. And Gideon went up by the way of them that dwelt in tents on the east of Noba and Jogbeha and smote the host, for the host was secure. At least I thought they were. And when Zeba and Zalmana fled, he pursued after them and took the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmana, and discomfited all the host. And Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle before the sun was up, and caught a young man of the men of Succoth, and inquired of him. And he described unto him the princes of Succoth, and the elders thereof, even threescore and seventeen men. And he came unto the men of Succoth, and said, Behold, Zeba and Zalmanah, with whom ye did upbraid me, saying, Are the hands of Zeba and Zalmanah now in thine hand, that we should give bread unto that men that are weary? And he took the elders of the city and the thorns of the wilderness and briars, and with them he taught the men of Succoth. It's highly likely that the 77 men uh, that were taken were killed, and the men of Succoth learned the lesson from it. Okay? So just, I want you to picture that. How would you like, well, maybe don't picture it, but you're going to teach 77 men with thorns and briars. What do you think that looked like? I just, you know, whew, I don't know. So verse 17, and he beat down the tower of Penuel and slew the men of the city. And that's the end of that story. We're not going to get into the finish of Zeba and Zalmana. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for the story. Thank you for our Lord, young people and, and the, 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 <laughs> performance that they gave us tonight lord the memorization and the songs and lord they, they did a good job and thank you for it thank you for those ladies that commit their time to to help them with that lord we ask now that you would bless in the message tonight that you'd help us to be attentive and lord that we would listen well and we would lord take to heart the lessons from the passage in jesus name amen amen thank you you may be seated <clears throat> so faint yet pursuing and the word faint here uh we tend to use things, we use it very differently nowadays, but it basically means they're exhausted. Okay, they are, they're just exhausted. They have been fighting, they've been literally running, There's, they've been running for miles chasing the enemy, they've been running through the night, um, there's been a fight, I'm assuming, sorry, 
There's been a fight probably at least over the course of a day and a, a night and a day, rather. And uh, they're just, they're completely exhausted. Hey, that's better. <clears throat> and uh, so, running, fighting, running, fighting, and then Gideon has to deal with the Ephraim, Ephraimites getting all hurt, getting their feelings all hurt and having to deal with them because, why didn't you call us sooner? And as soon as they get done saying that, they leave. And all these other people leave. Okay, there's been a great battle. There's been, the, besides, the, besides the Midianites killing themselves, okay? The Midianites, you know, we don't have time to go back and preach that, so don't listen well. If you didn't, weren't here, go back and read the passage. The Midianites killing each other by the, by the work of God, running through and bumping into each other in the middle of the night in the dark and, and killing each other with the swords. So they're all gone. I mean, thousands of people, 120,000 are dead. They had a great battle at the ford where they crossed the Jordan. And when, instead of crossing the Jordan, a whole bunch of people say, yay, we're done, and they leave. But remember, what's on the other side of Jordan? It's still the country of Israel. There's still two and a half tribes of people over there. And the people on the west side are like, eh, you guys take care of that. We did our part. And they leave. So the Gideon and the 300 men, they're looking at this saying, we're not done. The enemy is right there. The one who's been keeping us under under oppression and has mistreated us horribly. I mean, they did an amazing amount of oppression in the short time that the Midianites were, were in their position of power over the Israelites. And Gideon knew, this is my job. I'm here to complete the job. There's work to be done. And so he says, we're going. And the 300 said, where you're going, we're going too. No question about it. Like one unit. They wanted to see the work finished. They want to see the work completed. So, if you will, we got the ragtag group out of all thousands of Israel that could have joined them, the ragtag group of 300 crosses over the Jordan and they're willing to do the work. Now, are the Ephraimites uncapable? Actually, no, the Ephraimites are good warriors, but they stepped out. The, at, what, the, the group of, that we just read, we got the, uh, the group of Naphtali, Asher, and Manasseh, they're, they're leaving. They're gone. But why? Suddenly their swords don't work anymore? They work on this side, Jordan, but when you get over there, somehow they just quit. What? Why did they leave? I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it's an amazing thing, but there's, you know, people do it all the time. But the 300, they were there at the beginning. They watched God do an amazing work. I mean, they're just up there. They didn't have to hold a sword. They just, you know, they shout out the sword of the Lord of Gideon. They smash some pictures. They hold up uh, a light and they blow a trumpet and everybody starts killing each other. Like, dude, did you see that? I mean, that probably at the beginning, they're excited. Let's go. We got these guys, you know. 300 guys chasing 135,000 people. I just picture what that looks like. Uh, I, I mean, I can't even, I can't even imagine. And that's 120,000 again. When it says those that drew the sword, again, that's just soldiers. That's not including support staff. And if they're anything like normal armies, there's a lot of support staff. I, you understand that I think it's, it's like one out of five, I think, for, the, for World War I and World War II. One out of five out of all those that, were, that served, one out of five was actually in battle, and four out of five were support staff for us in the United States. That's kind of an interesting number. And I, I'd, I'd like to see more specs on that, but I've met quite a few people where their family was alive. Where did, you, where did they serve? Oh, they served in Pensacola. They served in San Diego. They served out here in, in Washington. 
And so we got 120,000 just support staff. I mean, just, uh, not support staff, just of the, the soldiers that were killed. Who knows what else has been done. And they're ready to follow Gideon. They cross over. They want to make sure this is all done. They're completely exhausted. Okay, has anybody ever been there? Exhausted? They've, how long, I, I wish I could, I wish I would have done the miles, but my, just roughly, I'm quite certain that they've, they've covered well over 30 miles in the night, or through the, through the day and the night, running. It's got to be close to 30 miles that they've run. And this is, you know, this is no horses, no camels. This is chasing the enemy on foot with gear, with, with shields and swords and probably packs. They are exhausted. They've probably worn out whatever food and stores and water they had left is gone. Okay? But there's a work to be done, and it's not done, so they're not done. <clears throat> If there's a work worth doing, well, it's worth doing, number one. But often, you get tired doing it. Has anybody ever uh, chopped firewood for your house? Anybody here ever chopped firewood for your house? Uh, and then you have to go out, I mean, all the way, you go out into the woods, you cut down the tree, you, you know, you section the tree, you debranch the tree, you roll it down, you load your truck, you load your trailer, you get home, and your work's done, right? No, the sections have to be shortened often enough, depending on how you did it, and then they've got to be split. Some of it has to be dried. After it's split, it has to be stacked. Uh, I've, I've done this many a time, and you know, after a while, you, you know, it's nice just to go to bed and wait till tomorrow. <laughs> but sometimes the work has to be done. I, I think about my, I, my brother-in-law used to work on a, a farm, and uh, I go out there and I'm thinking, well, there's not much to do today. Oh, okay, uh, but I'm going to get to go help on the farm, you know, okay, so what am I doing? I'm going over to the empty field and I'm going to uh, disc up, I'm going to learn how to drive a tractor and disc up 20 acres, and he says, I ain't got much to do today. I never saw the guy quit moving the whole day, and there wasn't much to do that day. Well, I'm over there sitting on a tractor the whole time. I mean, I had a blast, but I, it's, it's nuts. Work, work that is effective and work that is productive, you get tired doing it. If you're not getting tired, does anybody want to finish that? You're not working. You're not working. Spurgeon said it this way. If you, dear brethren and sisters, will give yourselves wholly to God's work, which is what these people were doing, although you will never get tired of it, you will often get tired in it. If a man has never tired himself with working for God, I should think he never has done any work that was worth doing. I want to say that part again. That Spurgeon said that. If a man has never tired himself with working for God, I should think he has never done any work that was worth doing. And then he says, let us also serve the Lord when every movement is painful, when even to think is wearisome. These men, he said, were faint. You know what it is for a soldier to be faint. It is, there's no nonsense, no presence. I mean, you know, they're, they're, they're barely there. They're just existing from moment to moment, putting one foot in front of the other. Uh, if you want to talk about real exhaustion, maybe go read the stories of those on the Bataan Death March and some of those stories about them where they were never allowed. You just, you couldn't. You just had to keep going. If you stopped, you died. 
They know what it was to be faint. He says, yet to go on running when you are ready to faint, to keep right on when you are ready to drop, this is very trying work. Yet, let us do it. By God's grace. Some people only pray when they feel like praying. But we need most to pray when we feel that we cannot pray. If we were only to preach, he he referenced, I can almost see him. He says, if we were only to preach when we felt like preaching, we should not often preach. If we were only to do the work of God when we felt like doing the work of God, we probably won't often do it. If we were only to give the gospel when we felt like giving the gospel, we would not often give it. Do you hear what I'm saying? If we only did right what that we knew was right when we felt like doing right, they'd be, we'd be doing an awful lot of wrong in our lives. I'm looking at, here's Gideon. I want, you to, I want you to think about this. Let's put ourselves in Gideon's place and the 300 men. Others were there and helped, weren't they? Man, they saw a great work as a whole. I mean, there was a big job to do. And they started off by themselves, and then a bunch of people showed up, and man, they had a whole bunch of help, and then they decided to leave. They were there for the big show portion of it, but they weren't there for the cleanup. And those other, some of them complained while they did. They show up, they show up for the big show, they don't stay for the cleanup, they complained because they weren't invited to be a part of the big show. And here's Gideon. Can you imagine what must be running through his mind right now saying we, we can get them. Why don't you all you know, nope. There are many that want to be a part of it but they don't want to do it while they're tired. You hear that? There are many that want to be a part of God's work but they can't imagine doing it while they're tired. And then there's some like these, this group in Succoth and Penuel. People who are supposedly on God's side. They're supposedly God's people. And not only are they not going to help, listen, not only are they not going to help, they're also, this is what they're doing, they're making fun of the people who are actually doing the work. And these are God's people. They ridicule those who devote themselves to God's work and they call themselves Christians. I'm not talking about them anymore. Did you figure that out? You understand that in this day and age of Gideon, that the law of the land, instituted by God himself, but even the the expectation still to this day, is when you show up at a at a, another place's city or house and you are hungry, they fed you. That was expected. That was standard practice, still is to this day. Uh, as for instance, uh, I'm, I met uh, a family from Israel, or rather a family that had family in Israel, and I was telling them, my wife and I were, at that time, we were hoping to take a trip to Israel, and he said, really? He said, um, he hauled out his feet, he writes down a name and number and an address and hands it to me and said, this is my family in Israel. He said, you go and you tell them that you met me. He said, they'll put you up and they'll feed you. I'm like, what? He said, that's what, that's what they do. 
That's what they do. He said, that, that's how those people function. You show up at the house, they, they give you a bed. And, they, they, and this is a long-standing tradition. So when Gideon pauses and he says, hey, you got some bread? This is like, he's not, he's not coming off the wall like this is a huge surprise to these people. He was doing exactly what anybody else in the country would have done. They would have done this for non-Israelites. Did you hear that? They would have done this for people who weren't Israelites. And they show up and said, hey, can, my men are hungry, can you feed them? Some only want to help in the big stuff. Some, some only want to help when it's fun. Some don't want to help at all. And there's always those who are willing to help make fun of those who are working. You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> my dad always, uh, in job placement, <laughs> uh, he, he, would, he would do job placement for uh, some areas where there was, there was fights amongst the unions and back and forth. Now I understand, I'm talking about unions in Michigan, not unions everywhere else. Unions in Michigan are a vastly different critter, okay? Um, I, I wish I could tell you some of the stories that I, from my memory as a kid, being in Michigan and houses that got firebombed and shot through and all that kind of stuff. Vastly different thing, okay? And when they would come, they would officially have to request a certain person from a certain thing, maybe a certain union, and then unofficially they would say what they really wanted. Well, if you can get a guy that's not union, it'd be great. Not, not because the unions were bad, but the unions in that area and in that field, the automotive field, kind of had a bad reputation. The guys who would sit over there and do their job, right next to them there's a big pile of the dirt, dirt on the floor, and there's a broom, and say, not my job. Ain't touching that. Now, this isn't, a le- this isn't a message on unions, so don't go out of here saying the pastor hates unions. I don't. <clears throat> but if, if, if you're using any excuse whatsoever to make fun of other people who are working and to get out of work, I kind of wonder what you're up to. And frankly, we're actually talking about church work here. We're talking about God's work here. There's people even in church. There's, let's, let's just leave church out of it. Let's just say the world of Christianity, of people who would claim to be Christians, who would claim to be believers. There are those who, uh, oh yeah, they, they want to help if it's maybe something big. They want to help if it's maybe fun. Supporting, uh, you know, getting, getting the alumni. When we, we talk to the alumni at Heartland Baptist Bible College and we try to get them involved as quick as we possibly can. You listen, you need to be involved. You need to be thankful. You need to be given back. And it's amazing how that you have to teach even people who are trained for the ministry, they well, what's in it for me? It's not about what's in it for you. Do you want a college that trains people how to be a preacher properly, how to use the Bible, how to properly ex- to expose the text and talk about it, and they don't put in their own vision of what the Bible says? Well, yeah. Well, then how about we give back and support that and fight to make that happen? You know, we have to, it's about giving. It's about working to maintain those things. Oh, I want to be a Christian if it's fun. I want to be a Christian if I can get something out of it. What's this dead tired stuff? Why am I always tired? Why, why, you know, really? Why do we got to work till oh dark 30 in the morning? Why do I got to be up early? Why do I got to give my life to these people? Why do I got to do that? Some people are dead tired and keep working. 
kind of what we're seeing here, is it not? Am I, out of, am I out of bounds? I think that's what we're talking about in the text. So the lessons, some lessons from it. The work of God continues. The work of God on the planet is not done until God's on the planet. <laughs> and you can be a part of it, or not, but God's going to keep working. Some believers, listen, some believers, God's people, they help sometimes. Those are the people you're never sure if they're going to show up or not. Well, we got this, they might show up. If they do, great. If they leave, thankful they came. There's other believers that make fun of the jobs that other people are trying to do. Why are we still doing outreach? I can't tell you how many times I've heard that made fun of. Why are we still door knocking? Why are we still talking to people about the Lord? There's got to be a better way. Oh, well, you can sit back and make fun all you want, or you can get involved in the work. Go ye into all the gospel and preach, or go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It's still in the Bible. Pretty sure there's lots of creatures that live in these houses. If you find yourself, listen, examine yourself with this passage. If you find yourself only occasionally helping in the work of God that you're aware of, um, don't be surprised when other people get to see God do some amazing stuff and you miss it. I'm going to repeat that. If you find yourself only occasionally getting involved in the work of God that you're aware of and have access to, occasionally, don't be surprised when those that are actually doing the work get to see God do some amazing stuff and you only hear about it. Another thought process. If you find yourself siding with the world on the efforts of the church and Christianity, don't be surprised if you get rebuke and reproof. Can't believe they'd get after me. If you find yourself siding with the world... When we're talking about the efforts of the church and Christianity, it shouldn't be uncommon for you to be rebuked and reproved. Why? Because Christians ought to support the work of Christ. Hello? Well, we can support the work of Christ today or I can support the work of my community. I wonder what choice I'm going to make. I can support the work of Christ going on today, or I can support the work of my, my kids in sports. How, what the, what's the percentage again of people who actually make money, like go to pro? It's like super small. But anyways. I can support the work of Christ today, or I can get my family time in. It's amazing how people's family time always has to be the same as God's time. You can't reschedule to make your family time not God's time. I mean, it's not like the it's not like we you know just throw out services randomly. Oh, we decided we're going to do a service at four o'clock tomorrow, and the next day we're going to do one at noon. And you're over there going, "Oh man, how do I figure this out?" No, I'm pretty sure it's even on the sign out there. You all know when the service times are. When the work of Christ is, you know when outreach is. 
You know when Band of Brothers is. You know when Ladies' Night is. Well, preacher, now you're just, you know, meddling. Exactly. You think Gideon wasn't doing some meddling? Are you trying? Listen, are you trying? I'm going to talk honestly now. Listen, I want honest. Are you trying to follow the Lord? You just, this is what God wants. I'm doing my best to do it. You know what I'm talking about? I think a lot of people are like that. I just, I, I'm just trying to do what God wants. Every moment, every day, I'm just doing my best. Can, can we learn a lesson from Gideon? Don't quit. Don't be a part-timer. Are you tired? Are you exhausted? Does it feel like there's a whole lot of people that could be helping that aren't? Don't quit. Does it feel like God's asking you to do stuff that no one else is doing? That doesn't mean he didn't call on them to do it too. Keep going. Don't quit. Uh, some of you know the poem. I'm, I'm going to read it. I've forgotten about it until I got in this message and started, started searching for illustrations on don't quit. I'm like, oh yeah, there's a poem. Don't quit. When things go wrong, as they, I like how he says, as they sometime will. In the Knutson world, it's, it's expected, you know. When things go wrong, as they sometime will. When the road you're trudging seems all uphill. When funds are low and debts are high. And you want to smile, but you have to sigh. When, your care, when care is pressing you down a bit, rest if you must, but please, don't quit. Life is queer with its twists and turns, as every one of us sometimes learns. And many a failure turns about when we might have won if we'd stuck it out. Don't give up, though the pace seems slow. You may succeed with another blow. Often the goal is nearer than it seems to a faint and faltering man. Often the struggler has given up when he might have captured the victor's cup and learned too late, learned too late as the night slipped down how close he was to the victor's crown. Success is failure turned inside out, the silver tent of the clouds of doubt, and you can never tell how close you are. It may, may, may be near when it seems so far. So stick to the fight when your heart is hit. It's when things seem worse that you must not quit. Whether other people are involved or not, the poem's done, by the way. Whether you wish other people were involved or not. Whether things are productive or not. Who, who builds the church? Yeah. Who, who, we are to be witnesses, but the Holy Spirit's the one who works on hearts. That, did you hear? It's not about productivity. It's about doing what God has set before you. And don't quit. There are always people... Always, there, as, as long as God allows this time to exist, there will always be people who are sometimers. They're there a while, and then they're not. There are always people who want to be a part of the big show and don't want the part of the cleanup. There are always people who are going to make fun of those who are trying to do their best. There are always people who should be helping that are actually, instead, fighting against you. It's funny, you think they'd find someplace else to go, but no, they're, always, they're here too. No, don't quit. 
Some of you know the story, and I'm, I'm basically done, but some of you know the story, uh, and if you don't, it is a great story, but, and I'm, I'm hoping I don't ruin this name, but a man, while we were in the middle of our civil war, a man by the name of Ignace, Ignace Paderewski was a pianist in Poland, a Poland that did not exist. But he loved his country, and at that time, the people in Poland were trying to fight for their own independence. And he loved his country, and he, he, began, he, he, would, he would encourage, he would use his, his uh, gift, uh, and he's, by the way, he's, he's a very well-known pianist. Um, he was, he was, came to the States many times, toured here. Uh, I mean, he's up there with Liszt and some of those guys. He's composed, and uh, just, I mean, his name amongst those who learned this realm is, is a very common name. And he, he began to push for the independence of Poland using his music for, for decades and decades. So you understand it started in like the 1860s. He, did, he finally got to see uh, a free and independent Poland after the Great War. So 1914, thereabouts, 1912, 1914. What are we looking at? Nearly 50 years of fighting and how he did it was with his music. And eventually, he became so politically active that he, became, he ended up signing the Treaty of Versailles for the nation of Poland. And he became the, uh, the Polish first, the, one of the first premiers, or prime ministers, if you will, of Poland. And he kept using his music, and he would, he would, he would, he would write music specifically that had a Polish feel to it. And he would, name, he would name them Polish names, like Polonia and things like that. Use that. Use the culture of, of Poland, and and uh, <coughs> one time the uh, I think it was the one of the great uh, high leaders of, of Russia after a performance uh, came up to shake his hand and said, "I just want to shake the hand of one of the greatest one of the greatest uh, Russians to exist." And Paderewski put his hand back down and says, "Well, then I would like to say thanks to the King of England or the King of Britain." And he says, "Well, I'm not the King of Britain." And he says, "Neither am I." a famous citizen of Russia. <laughs> I'm from Poland. I'm Polish. And he spent much of his time and much of his money encouraging young Polish composers and instrument players to, to keep working and keep building. I mean, there, there's even a, a great poster of him with a, with a, a young kid, uh, kind of a Polish vagabond, sitting at a piano with his little, his little uh, you know, runaway stick, the stick with the bag on the end, sitting off to the side, and he's trying to play the, what looks to be the, the Polish national anthem. And, and it's, the drawing is of him with his hand, his hand is on the, the Paderewski is his hand on the, the shoulder of the young man, encouraging him in his work. And literally, that whole story, that whole life, turned into a, a, a nonstop illustration when maybe you've heard the story. It's not, we don't even think it's true. But it has turned into this story about a young boy that gets away from his mom at a concert by Paderewski. Paderewski is backstage and the little boy makes it up on stage and he begins to play, depending on what version you've heard, chopsticks on the piano. Maybe you've heard Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. And everybody starts going, oh, let that kid up there. You know, I can't believe that. I mean, that's the story. Uh, I have taught, so I don't doubt that something like this probably happened in the life of Paderewski because I have played with guitar with young with young guitarists but Paderewski the story is he walks up behind the 
the boy and he tells him, don't quit. You keep playing chopsticks. And he reaches his hands around the young boy and begins to add uh, whatever a great master can add to chopsticks to make it sound like a masterpiece. Now that's, all that may very likely not be true. But the essence of what Paderewski did is that when everybody else was quitting on the nation of Poland, he would not. He said, no, I want there to be a free and independent Poland. And he fought and he fought and he fought and he encouraged others until he finally got to see his dream and he would not quit. He did not give up, at least for that portion of his life. I wonder, I wonder how often it is that uh, we get wore down by life. Because life, life is wearing. But it's interesting, the problems never change. There are always people, always, as we said, through our whole life, from the time we were in elementary school to the time many of us are 60s, 70s, and 80s, there's the people that there's a regular turn of events, things that we need to do, and there's people that show up, Sometimes disappear. Sometimes you don't know if they're going to be there or not. There, there are people who are there like clockwork. And there are people who make fun of those who are trying to do the work. Listen, you hear what I'm saying? Those people have always been there. You know what, you, you know what the Christian life needs to be about? Faint yet pursuing. You're telling me to keep going even though I'm wore out. Now, hold on, pause. 300 men, they've most likely run at least 30 miles at this point. And I don't know how many, I should have stopped and figured it out, but how many miles you yet have to run. And they do it all in a night. They, they catch up with these guys. They clean out 15,000 guys and make their way back overnight. 300 guys. They got to watch. They got to see 300 men. Them, they got to see God help them make that whole journey while they were exhausted. They got to see God help them win the battle while they were exhausted. They got to see God help them all the way back and rebuke and punish those who should have helped them while they were exhausted. Well, probably by that time, hopefully they got a little bit of bread. They got to see God do stuff that none of, of the whole other group got to see. They didn't get to see the victory completed. They didn't get to see the end of the job. They were there. Those 300 men in Gideon got to tell that story to their grandchildren about how they were there from the beginning and to the end and how God was there at the beginning tearing up the enemy, that God gave them the strength to tear up the enemy themselves even when they had no strength left, no, no probably hardly any water left, no food left. And God gave them strength to continue doing the work. And they freed Israel, the whole nation of Israel, 300 men in Gideon. They freed the whole nation of Israel because they would not quit. What might happen if one person just decides I'm not going to quit? Come on. Amen. You think preachers don't quit? Preachers quit, believers quit, missionaries quit, evangelists quit, everybody's liable to quit. How about we not? How about we just do like this morning's message and we just trust God? Sometimes God calms a storm and sometimes he calms us in the storm. 
Sometimes he helps us find bread, and sometimes he gives us strength so we don't need bread. Shall we go back to Isaiah chapter 40 again? Isaiah chapter 40, we read, we read it this morning. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator, the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. Exhausted? He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. I'm just tired of this, God. I don't know if I can keep doing this. As God, I mean, I don't know if I can handle this. I mean, I mean, whether it be whether it be you're in a class and you you're, you don't know if you can handle the kids anymore, if you don't you got time to do the study anymore, or whether it be whether it be that you're. I mean, I think of those who help around the building. It's like it's never ending. It just doesn't quit. Those who come out and help and they go out door knocking, or those who come. I mean, you think about we have been making uh, door hanging bags. I don't know how many years now. Oh, I wish sure wish there'd be more productivity out of this. No, don't quit. Don't quit. What is the work of God? To preach the gospel to every creature. We got a job. Don't quit. Stick to it. I just don't know if I can take another step. Cross the Jordan, pick up your sword, trust God, keep going. Well, man, now God's wanting, it could be that maybe God's wanting you to cross Jordan and everybody else gets to sit on the other side. God's got something important. He wants you to continue doing it. Everybody else gets to just sit. Okay, can you trust God? Do it. Don't quit. The ones who don't quit are the ones who see God do some amazing things. Now, you all know I'm a Michigan fan. Uh, if you don't, you do now. But one of the, they've got a statement and uh, the statement in Michigan is, those that stay will become victors. Kind of an interesting thing, but you realize what the, it's the same story? It's the same illustration? Don't quit. Don't quit. Don't quit. You're exhausted. Great. Keep going. I don't know if I got anything left. Do what you can. Get up tomorrow and keep going. I'm just not getting anything out of this Bible reading. Pick up your Bible. Keep reading. I don't feel like God's answering my prayer. Get your list and keep praying. I just don't know if I've been witnessing to this person for 30 years. Keep praying. How many times have we heard about people for years and years and years and years? I, again, we'll go to Ron Cox. I just How many years did Miss Roz pray for him? It wasn't a little bit of time. I'm pretty sure it was decades. And God, God brings him around and he chooses. Don't quit. You might quit when just across the Jordan and just a little bit further, the whole thing is over and victory will be won. Don't quit. Well, I have quit. Well, then get back in the fight. You never know what you might see God do. God can, let me tell you, God will do amazing things and God gives strength to those who are exhausted. And if you're doing the work of God, like you're supposed to. Exhaustion is just part of it. It's not an excuse. Faint, yet pursuing. But Father, Lord, I'm not sure who exactly needed to hear this tonight. Lord, I know I certainly did. Lord, the encouragement... to get back up tomorrow and just do what I'm supposed to do. 
To not get my eyes on the people who could be helping and aren't. To not get my eyes on the people who should be helping and aren't. To not be distracted by the people who are questioning everything. But Lord, to continue. You're still doing a work on the planet. Your ability to work has not decayed. Your desire to work has not diminished. But the labors to work, that part's up to us. Lord, I pray that you'd give our hearts the encouragement that we need, like Gideon, to turn away from an argument, to watch a whole bunch of people walk away, and to pick up his sword and get back on the trail. No strength left but knowing there's a work yet to be done. God, please. We ask that you'd give, faint, give strength to the faint, give encouragement to the weary, and we know that victory, Lord, it can only come from you. And we're going to trust you for it. We're going to trust you for the growth of this church, the growth of this people. Lord, we're going to trust you for souls saved. We're going to trust you for people being baptized and added to the church. And we're going to trust you, Lord, for Lord, the whatever future it is that you have in Jerome because you're not done working in the city of Jerome. And we want to be a part of it, Father. You're not done working in the world through missionaries, and we want to be a part of that. Lord, I pray that you'd give this church the strength to keep moving, to watch you do things for us that we never thought possible. Lord, I pray that you'd work in each and every heart as only you can now. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.